wherever you are and welcome to On The Record, Off The Cuff podcast. This evening, we are looking at an album by the Sisters of Mercy called Vision Thing. To be very transparent, most of the people in the room have got very specific relationships with this album in, in many ways. And uh, I think this is one of the podcasts where certainly everybody in the room is Sisters fan or has uh, sort of serious sisters sensibilities one way or another. So we're all very familiar with the artist as well as the album. Another first for On The Record, Off The Cuff this evening is we actually have five participants as as opposed to three. So uh, a couple of guests this evening, which is absolutely brilliant. So you have your usual three in uh, myself, Ian and Martin. Hello. Hello. And we're also joined by uh, Sid. Say hello, Sid. Hello, Sid. And Tim, I dare you. Hello, <laughs> hello, Tim. Hey, that's the way to do it. Welcome, boys. So, for e- even more transparency, it's probably worth mentioning, though I'm not going to go into tons of details, four of the five of us also performed some of these songs <laughs> periodically at different times, which gives us even more of a sort of an interesting extra direction to come at some of this stuff. So I think this is going to be an absolutely great podcast. Whereas I've already ever performed the title track. <laughs> which which counts, which counts, man. That's absolutely, that's, that's, fair. that's fair and that's good. So, okay, I'll start off then the proceedings tonight. Vision Things, the third full album from the Sisters of Mercy. And unfortunately for, for most of us, the last album, full album that they, they released. Chatting a little bit before the podcast about this. The interesting thing about this for me is how uh, the album, it's not just like, it doesn't feel like reviewing an album and going through the tracks in quite the same way as, as what we've uh, hitherto done. There's a lot of mystery and a lot of this album being a component part of a, a bigger mythos and lots of sort of strands and currents to explore as a result of that. I absolutely love this album. I think there are a few hardliners who really, really don't within the sisters community who really like the sisters. Uh, I got into the sisters backwards because I am pretty sure I heard this album first and fell in love with a couple of the songs and then expanded out in that direction to listen further which is possibly uh, a bit sacrilegious in a way. I don't know. Um, and so perhaps that speaks to me liking everything holistically a bit more. I'm not sure. Uh, fantastic album. I'm not going to take up too much of your time as we do have guests. So, uh, Tim, do you want to give us your sort of generic thoughts about the album and uh, and kick off? So putting me on the hot spot first. Thanks yeah, so much. Sorry. Got, to, got to have that <laughs> little bit of pressure for the guests, I feel. <laughs> I mean, uh, vision thing. Yeah, I've... You know, I've discussed it on the blog um, before. I've reviewed all three of the sisters' albums, and uh, it is sadly the uh, the ginger step brother of um, Sorry, Paddy. It is the, uh, <laughs> the 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 weaker sibling, shall we say, of First and Last and Always and Floodland. Um, it's you're right in that saying there is a sisters' mythos, and every album falls into it very uniquely. Um, <clears throat> First and Last and Always being a gothic rock Paragon album, Floodland being a, you know, kind of synthy Paragon album. Vision Thing, I mean, what what can you say? It's 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 rock. It's rock? In 1990, it's, it's what, soft metal? I mean, what is it? This is what we're all here to discuss, but finding what defines Vision Thing is really difficult because it stands so far in the shadow of its older brothers. So... I don't know. It's got some fantastic songs on it, but the whole thing seems uneven, unfinished, a little bit... Uh, it's a difficult one to classify. That's the whole point of Vision thing. It's unique, but difficult to pin down to exactly what it is. 
it's a rock album, but what it means for Eldritch, who we're going to come to learn is a universal force dominating the entire production and writing of it. What it means to him, I don't know. It's a strange one. I'm really, really keen to see what my uh, fellow colleagues here think of it. Cool. Sid? Yeah, interesting. I mean, I'm sort of inclined to agree. It's, it's, I hate choosing between sisters' albums. I hate even choosing between sisters' Indeed. songs. But it, 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 of the ones that I'm equally fond of, it's probably the one I'm least equally fond of, but it's very close. <laughs> when I listen to it, I still, I still love pretty much all of it. So it, it is, it's weirdly uneven and patchy and kind of un, unfinished. I mean, there's that great thing Boyd Steamson said about um, Tony James reporting, oh, I guess it's going to be a five song album then. I mean, that sort of sums up a certain amount of it. And I know, you know, they didn't use the finished mixes. That's right. And and as as it's sort of quite traditional for the later sisters output, it, it despite the fact they're being sort of notionally a band, like, you know, they went out and toured with a particular mm-hmm. like um set of personnel, it's not that obvious exactly how much was done by whom. Like Tony uh-huh. James said his his parts were twenty minutes in total to record. Um it was it was built around what was his name, John Perry or whatever, the slide guitarist guy who only ever ended up That's doing right. like this tiny guest bit at the beginning of Boulevard. Uh, Tim Bridgeno yeah. came in right at the 11th hour and who knows two how much he actually did yet, yeah, two weeks or something. Yeah. So, mm. you know, we have a production that is probably 90% Eldritch. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, I, I I have to say this isn't my observation, but I, I so we have a technical podcast, did a, a fantastic uh, review of this album themselves, like probably about mm. six months, a year ago. And they observed this is probably the, you know, from Eldridge's point of view, this is the pinnacle, right? This is what he set out to do. He always said they were a rock and roll band. And this is mm. the sisters finally doing rock and roll pretty much straight up apart from ribbons. So yeah, it, it's very, it's just fascinating. I, I really think this is probably as close to his artistic ideal as, as it got. Uh, and it's patchy and unfinished and, and crazy, but you've kind of got to love it for that. Okay. Uh, Martin. Two words came into my head whilst I was listening to both of you guys there. Um, and it's very interesting to hear other people's takes on something. Pompous and bombastic yeah. um, is Agreed. a very succinct way to view it. Are you talking about us or the record? No, no, no. <laughs> the, the, the recording. Not, not you guys. I'm talking about vision thing. I agree with that too. What, what I have to do is I have to kind of put it in context because um, my journey with the sisters, I was very lucky in the fact that from a very young age, I was schooled on alternative music by my elder brothers. So not many kind of lads who are 12 and 13 year old have had Gadget and Sisters of Mercy records, you know, in their collection at the time they're released. You know, it wasn't a case of gotten years later from my brother. It was a case of my brothers bought me copies of everything they bought for themselves. Having kind of been on all parts of the journey, this one was very much a case of I this is where I'll differ from you, Tim. I, I, I love bombastic rock music and uh, Floodland to me is very lush and lovely, but. I like something that puts a bit of lead in my pencil. Mm. I don't like metal at all. I don't like metal, never sure. have done, but something with a bit of chug and a bit of sing along to it and a bit of power has always has always caught me, but also with the pop sensibility. Yeah, I'd say six out of eight of the songs on here have that for me, but we'll talk more about that when we talk about the individual individual tracks. Cool, Ian? Um, it's the best album they ever did. I'm going, put, I'm going to put that out there because <clears throat> I say that obviously tongue tongue in cheek, and I say that because um, it is quite often the album you hear people say they should never have recorded it, it's crap. 
I, I think I'm with Martin. It, it does fall into my personal tastes. I like that kind of overblown. My, my natural tendency when it comes to production is overproduction. And I, I think that's what we're talking about here. For God's sake, we've got mm. eight songs and it took them nine months. You hear about these massive prog albums with orchestras and, you know, a, a thousand people marching across a, a, a field and, <laughs> and what have you, taking taking six months to complete. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure where nine months went in this, but I love I love the songs. One of the things I was, I was going to say is just to pick up that point about it being a journey and heading to where Eldritch wanted to go, which mm. he said, whether, I mean, that could just be part of the mythos as well. <laughs> you know, he says things, but, um, you know, the technology changed along, along the way. Yeah. And this, just to put this in context for me personally, this was the first CD I ever bought. I got a CD player for my 18th birthday and I bought this this CD the next day, which had actually been out a week by that point. And the reason I think that's worth mentioning is because I've got the, the actual CD in front of me and it has got the old triple D on the, the label, which seemed to be very, very important when CDs came out. And they they really wanted to tell us that uh, both the, the, uh, the tracking and the mixing and the mastering were all done in digital stages. And I think it's worth bearing that in mind when we think about the the production on this album because it very is very much is leaning into the digital aspects of recording which the previous albums didn't there was there was always i mean uh, probably floodland more so um there's always the digital stuff in there but the technology wasn't quite there for the ability for kind of one man auteur to sit with with computers and sequences and and note by note piece something together which obviously obviously it was by the time we get here so i, I think that's probably an important thing just to put on the shelf as we go through discussing like i said it, it's his project and his imagining i think he he does come across as somebody who's fairly I don't know, my way or the highway. And I think earlier in his career, he had to rely on people. And I think when he got to this stage, some, some, to some degree through perhaps necessity and to some degree through choice, he basically did something that he controlled and it, and it was his, no pun intended, vision and so on and so forth. But yes, and the other production point, I'm, I'm very similar. Um, <laughs> I consider myself <laughs> almost barnied about my... My comment of if they'd uh, re-record all the uh, the stuff on, on some girls wonder by mistake in, in with sort of modern audio parlance, I'd be fascinated to hear that. Not that I'm really suggesting that they do it or it's a worthwhile thing to do, just that I am interested to hear that. So in a way, um, this album being able to take advantage of tons more technology and production, I, I do absolutely love that, actually. The one thing that I did hook into, and again, I'll we'll, we'll jump onto tracks, but... Um, I think it was Sid that said it. It's basically a sort of a straight ahead rock album, except for ribbons. Mm -hmm. I do look at Vision Thing and think, <clears throat> what would this album be if ribbons wasn't on it and there mm -hmm. was another Detonation Boulevard there instead? That then. It, one of. Yes, not as good. In my opinion. <laughs> but I mean. I think the, I asked the opposite question. What would it be like if they were all like ribbons? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you've just topped me. No, that's. that's <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. you, you win straight away. So that's, that's awesome. Oh, I don't know. I, I couldn't take Vision Thing out of there, though. I think that'd just yeah. have to be like a weird single off to one side, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I value it equally. I can't separate out which one of the sisters' albums would be my favourite or which I prefer because they all do have distinct sisterisms. I guess 
the predominance of which obviously comes from um, the rhythm section and the vocalist. But even even the sort of a lot of the rock bombast, it, it's there's still a sister's underlining thread to it. Um, but yeah, no, great album for me. I, I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Um, let's hit hit this bad boy track by track then. I was I was always going to ask Ian to go first from this because I think he rather likes this as a tune and you can tell one way or another. But if you want to kick off with Vision Thing, Ian? Sure. Yeah, straight ahead rock song with a really nice infectious riff. Hmm. Very simple song. The uh, the the kind of bridge and chorus both dropping down to the B um, is a nice way of doing a chorus rather than kind of recycling the um, the verse chords, which would be pop writing 101. <laughs> so so that's kind of nice. But there's a lot of production in there and there's all sorts of stuff you hear. If you've got really good studio cans on, <laughs> which I do from time to time, there's a, there's a load of stuff in here that I haven't heard before when I was listening to it earlier on a, on a better setup which are obviously kind of left over from production decisions Sid referenced it earlier we know that the final album wasn't necessarily the final mixes of everything they went back to earlier versions of some things and we don't know because it's not recorded for posterity anywhere which decisions uh, that applies to i suspect that vision thing was one of those that had more production in it just because there seems to be more bits and pieces uh, in there but great rocking track good to play uh, everyone knows mm. the chorus mm. so you know it's it's one of those playing live everyone joins in it's got that real kind of sing-along structure the audience know their part and join in so it's it's great the only thing i don't necessarily like about the album version is um they go for the old cheat of fading out which is not uncommon on this album uh, and i'm i'm in two minds as to whether or not we should allow people to do that in uh, in this day and age write a bloody ending that's why i agreed say. i think anybody who's programming a drum machine shouldn't be doing certainly shouldn't be doing a fade out ending if i'm on it absolutely Oh dear. Tim. There's a reason Vision Thing is still in the live set, you know, decades after it was written, and it's almost always an encore for the band even now. And it's because it is phenomenally catchy. It's infectious. It's a beautiful track. And it deserves its place as the first track on the album. It hooks you straight in, and uh, and that's just a magical. It's a masterstroke. It's a good choice. I'm thinking, really, of comparing it to kind of the track listings for its kind of predecessors, like... It actually it, it mimics um, how Floodland started with Dominion, Mother Russia. You know, it hooks you in with one of the strongest tracks. But whereas Floodland, you know, maintains a certain kind of tempo and sound throughout it all, Vision Thing doesn't. It kind of like goes off the cliff with the very first track that's an absolute barnstormer and then just kind of tumbles away really oddly into the void. You know, because it rolls then obviously into the next track, which we'll come to. But it's it's so unusual. Why pick such a really strong song and then string out the remaining tracks in such an odd order? Again, that's something we can come to as we go through it. But it's a really unusual one for me. Again, it's it to me it illustrates the contrasts that form Vision Thing. Vision Thing is black and white, strong and weak, good and bad, and and that title track is great. It's brilliant. I love it, but it. Just throws the rest of the album into really sharp relief, and I don't think it does it any favours. I feel like I'm going to be the hatchet man for this album, so maybe <laughs> you can move on to somebody else next. Interesting. It, it's a very strong opener, and it's about as straight-ahead rock mm. as it can be. The, the kudos I'll kind of give to, to Eldritch, if there were any doubters, because obviously 
first album, he had a couple of guitarists and, you know, sort of proven good songwriters with him. But I, yeah. there's nothing to this song. It's, it, again, it's it's very, very straightforward, sort of dynamically, almost linear. Mm. And, and mm. again, it's a very simple song to sort of play and put together. But it's, it's, it's still a damn good song. And it's about mm. writing a good song. And it's about that X factor. And I don't know, I just think it pulls it off with aplomb and shows mm. that he is, you know, he's in this game and he can do it as well, uh, which is cool. Sid. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I think I, I'm interested by Ian's comments about production, actually, because this actually, to me, is one of the ones that sounds roughest. I think the vocal mix is actually kind of all over the place. Yeah. Quite a few bits where it's it, it's just not sitting right. Um, and you can hear some odd sort of odd effects on it in places as well, where the double tracking sort of sounds a bit strange. Yeah, no, but I mean, I, I totally echo a lot of what's been said, I mean, it, it's anthemic. It's an absolute anthem. Mm. And it does. I, I really agreed with Tim's point about, yeah, it's a bit like Dominion. It's like, you know, I can't turn Floodlad on, hear, hear Dominion. It's like, it just, there's just this immediate, takes you to this place kind of effect. And I find yes. this kind of the same with Vision thing. For me, though, I don't know if anyone else agrees with this, but I actually, I'm slightly more into the, uh, the remix that they put out on the Temple of Love 92 single, the Canadian Club remix. Yeah. That is that to me just takes it up to eleven. It takes up another notch, and um, we were talking about how we all encountered these these songs. So I heard a couple of songs off Vision Thing via that ninety two single, the B sides, basically on the CD. <laughs> I blew up at least one good pair of speakers coming home and playing this at full volume, <laughs> sticking my head between them, turning all the lights off, kind of thing. So um, yeah, I mean, I think it is, you know, structurally very kind of straightforward. I, I mean, lyrically, it's quite interesting. I, I mean, he's free, he's sort of, it's interesting how his, his later work, he's, he's really toned it down. It's like, you know, he's down to like sort of a few lines, essentially. Whereas, you know, this was from an era where it's like, you know, it's a full on epic of uh, of gothic poetry of a, of a sort. And it's, yeah, um, it's a really good, it's a really kind of fun one to sing. The vocal performances generally are nice. There's a kind of a gang vocal kind of feel to it the whole way through as well. Um, I think that's actually like... jump off off of the back of that, Sid. Um, yeah, it, it, um, this is something that you know you and I can speak on with a little bit of authority. Yeah. But the entire vocal delivery for this is so unlike Eldritch anywhere else. The yeah. whole thing is through his teeth. It is snarled, growled, hissed. Um, whereas you know Eldritch is more famously known for baritone dirge-like yeah you're right monotony vision thing spikes snarls hisses it's really unusual yeah it's a good um, point i mean there's nearly always like you know like um i don't know, like harold and joe by the cure there's like it seems like all these singers who have like a distinctive singing style they always seem to do like they seem to like break the mold for one and you're right i think this is the one we really break the mold because he he's, he also you know he famously doesn't like to raise his voice does he and um that's, that's another right. thing that that he does here is like there's, there's different points where it's turned right down in the mix but you can hear he's really really screaming his ass off brilliant <laughs> oh the other thing I, I totally forgot to say this i remember the there's some some interview where some journalist says to him so you know your latest records vision thing which obviously starts with vision things says no no it doesn't it starts with a sniff uh, uh, i love that. that i just like mm-hmm. when i realized because you know you, you hear that kind of at the beginning and like until until that moment i had is, never clocked what it was but it's brilliant no, is right? that is that what it is because I, I can't remember who it was a quote by, but somebody said it was a sneeze. <laughs> no, it's definitely a stiff. Yeah. Yeah. A sniff. I mean, considering the lyrical content of the song, yeah, it's so well. <laughs> it's in the lyrics. 
that is something worth observing, actually, because you were saying yeah. earlier about you know the Gothic poetry, Sid, um, and actually, Vision Thing again breaks the mold. This is Eldritch on politics. I mean, it's not like the reptile house where it was very coded and very referential. Vision Thing is straight up American neocon horror. Here yeah. you are, the dark side of the American dream. I mean, I, you know, we'd all known Eldritch was political, but he'd always done it as a very kind of detached observer, you know, the raised eyebrow and all of that. And Vision Thing, no, you know, all bets are off, the safeties are off, and the bowels are open. Yeah, so, it does sound quite, it's quite, yeah, it's quite vituperative, isn't he? He's pretty pissed yeah. off. Really unusual, really. He's setting a new tone with the vision thing. And again, I don't... He's actually in there, right? Rather than being on the side, just like observing. Precisely. And I think that's, that is something else that's going to polarise audiences. And I think it's going to polarise our little group as well. That's it. Well, this song for me is, is, is a weird one because um, it feels like a, a band playing. Rather, I know it's not, mm. but mm. you know, it feels like it's almost recorded live with the venom that it's got in it. In its attack hmm. and its delivery, like Tim mentioned about Elvis's delivery, and this—it's basically she's screaming bloody vengeance. Hmm. You know, it—it's it, not nice. It's not pretty. Some of the references in the lyrics are very pointed. The sniff at the beginning—that's always what I thought it wasn't. When we talk about some of the lyric local uh, references, it kind of makes you think more towards the sniff. Because let's face it, uh, he wasn't adverse to. Uh, the old recreational pharmaceuticals, <laughs> Mr. Taylor. Um, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. For reasons, let's observe it, you know. from above the chemist. That is, um, yeah, what we understand. It's a song I love from the moment I heard it, and the first time I saw it live was the first gig they did back at uh, Wembley, which was a very surreal experience for me, for many different reasons, which I can explain later. Um, <laughs> it was like... Yeah, I love this song, and I've <laughs> I've had the joy of watching you guys play it. I've also mm. played it myself, and it's it like you say that gang vocal. It puts me in mm. mind, although it doesn't sound like the artist who Eldridge was a big fan of, the Gary Glitter kind of stomp and pomp. Mm. You know, like let's throw everything at this, yeah, and really, really get passionate with it and that's what comes out in the vocal delivery almost you get a feeling like it comes off stage like his throat's bleeding because he's really put everything into the screams on this agreed my fave (laughs) (laughs) fave on the album Martin that one for you yes well in that case then uh, that's a nice little segue to move on to uh, the next one which is my favourite on the album and possibly my favourites possibly my joint favorite sister's song actually wow. but again it's it's very difficult but mm. um oh i'm sorry i'm gonna have to start so ribbons as i said before I, this is a bit for this for this album this is a an outlier outlier somewhat as i postulated what what is this album without ribbons on it um which now seems completely redundant after sid turned on his head brilliantly but hey <laughs> so um i mean a mechanical sort of plodding brooding brilliance for me this mm. Again, it's the only one that doesn't sound like a that the drum machine's been programmed in such a way as to represent a drummer. This sounds like a drum machine's been programmed to make a a, a mechanical plodding brood <laughs> type thing. Um, there is something I don't know. It, it it's so different, so sinister. I don't really understand what it's about. Again, mm. my disclaimer being I, I'm not massively into lyrics in a sense, although I'm probably more familiar with this than anything we've covered in any podcast so far. But yeah, this this is similar to Sid, this is this is one where I'm, I'm pretty sure I did ruin some car speakers <laughs> with, with probably between playing this 
um, Head Like a Hole by Nine Inch Nails and indeed the 92 version of Temple of Love. I, I probably ruined, <laughs> ruined car speakers. This, was, this song was certainly a contributor in, in a big way. But it's just lush, a, a semitone guitar riff. It's big, it's meaty. Oh, it, it, it's thunderous and it just mows you down. Mm. And, and again, it stands out like a sore thumb on oh, this album. Undoubtedly. Um, difficult to articulate in many ways. Difficult. Sid, give me some ribbons. I, I, I like your point about the drum machine. I think one of the things to me about many of the best sisters songs is, it, you know, the drum pattern itself is really distinctive and interesting and like, you know, really just, it starts with the drums and it, it that really sort of carries it in a certain way. Um, I'm trying to think, I don't know why it is, but it always sounds to me like it's one of these classic patterns and I can't think of it, like a samba or something like that. It sounds like, Basically, it's like a, a hyped up version of something you'd get on like the kind of like tiny, cheap drum machine Jean-Michel Jarre had about the time he did yeah. Oxygen, where there was like about eight set patterns on it. It sounds like a version of one of those, but I, I don't know which one. <laughs> We're um, back to Carter visiting Tandy, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, I listened to that before this show, and you guys were fantastic on it, can I just say? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, it's weird. I, I, it would hmm. be lovely. The, the, the problem with all the things, I mean, obviously, we've just had the book well, two books out recently, but the most recent book, Paint My Name, and, you know, like all, all things about the sisters, it's like you, we seem to get nearly all of the information from the people around. We never really find out what Eldritch was doing and thinking. And so as a result, we get like actually only a very small fraction of the story and you have to kind of piece the rest together. And I would just love to know how a song like this ended up on an album with with all this other stuff on it. doesn't. It really doesn't kind of make sense. Lyrically, I, I I don't know. There's different. I've read a few different interpretations, but the one that mm. made most sense to me is um, it's ribbons in the sense of being sliced to ribbons. Yeah. So it's like a serial killer basically talking to his next victim, essentially, and uh, uh, talking about his his uh, serial killer's career. And I think if you if you listen to it in that that sort of light, and you've got the kind of the intensity and the screams and stuff in it, I think that all fits together very very well. So it's definitely it's one of those sort of songs in which you kind of imagine yourself in a through the you know the world through the eyes of a particular character or something like that i think that makes perfect sense yeah i don't know um it's always a difficult one to do live this one because it's quite samey and there's there's not that many kind of cues in it if you don't get it just right it, it can be quite like just chugging and you don't really hear much else there's a lot of i'll tell you what when you play guitar it hurts your bloody wrist oh bad <laughs> I, I was gonna say try being a rhythm guitarist on yeah. this particular one. five and a half minutes of palm muted <laughs> alternating <laughs> half a tone i mean but this is the thing it's like there's a real on, on the album there's a real subtlety there's like there's screams and stuff yeah. mixed underneath and there's mm. that wonderful little do 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 like 12 string part on the top mm. there's, there's just this really clever little subtle repetitive riff like sort of two bar riff it's just amazing I don't know if not I haven't really got anything else to say about it it's it's brilliant I mean it, the one other thing I was going to say is yeah you're sort of talking about it being your favorite I think yeah this is this is a universally adored sisters song even amongst the haters of this album I think it's still pretty much and again uh, no hussy no marks no steinman just elf which I, I like I like so at first two both the same music and Martin, as a drummer, once you'd heard Vision thing, hmm. the song, and then you hit this, how does that make you feel? Uh, well, as you said, it is 
And basically, it starts and it ends. The bits that break, there's bits that break it up, but there's no. This isn't a verse-chorus song. This is basically a like, like you said, it's like a story. It always put me in mind of another song from earlier on the Sisters uh, Canon, which is Poison Door. That kind of lushness to it, though, you know, like you, you're saying, like that twelve-string just playing in the background. Mm. That kind of subtle bits that are going into it, but then. I would probably agree with you. Said you know the the the, the ribbons reference. You know I tried to tell about Marks and Engels. God and angels don't really walk for. She looked good in ribbons. It's like why bother? Just give up. Yeah. Uh, but my favourite line. Splice it a bit. The splintered thing. You know, it's like it's like forget that Eldritch yeah. is a really inter- intelligent lyricist. You know that's why you know the first album took so long because he wanted to get the lyrics right. And with this album, you know that. There's some fantastic references all throughout it, and this is one where that line I always look forward to that line because I just want to applaud that line as it comes. Song wise, it, it starts and it ends, and, and, it, and it's just like it builds, it builds, and then it ends. Oh, and of course, we didn't mention how it ends the most fantastic, yeah. any either. It's coming, <laughs> indeed. So, that is indeed. so much fun to do live. Repetitive, <laughs> repetitive strain injury aside, here, how do you feel about it? Um, I tend to agree with everything that's that's been said. It's it's an outlier, but it's fun. It's so I say atmospheric. There's certain types of kind of modern thriller or or even kind of horror movies <laughs> you could see this fitting well with. Uh, it builds tension. I think that's 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 what it is. And the fact, as as Martin says, that it hasn't got a verse, chorus, verse, chorus structure it's it's more progressive uh, kind of thing just adds to that because what it does in, uh, instead of arrangement it keeps throwing extra bits and pieces on the top and there's sound effects and you coming back there's things sweeping right to left across the the stereo field and things like that so although it does seem and yeah from a rhythm guitar point of view it is shifting uh, a semitone um every now and again uh, on a load of um uh, palm mutes it is progressive the stuff happening it is changing uh, as a song and i think the final thing to say about it really is actually for all that that's going on and the guitars it's actually very clean from a mix point of view everything's in its own little area unlike the kind of twin palm mute attack of our live version um it you know it's it, it does that thing of, of being heavy and intense but but also being kind of clean and nuanced that's intriguing to me from a from a tonal point of view and yes it is a handbrake turn after vision thing but you know i can i can cope with that yeah that first point you made in i really like the, the idea of the atmospheric thing I, has this ever been used on a soundtrack and if so why not it's, it's my point yeah. of view. I, I'm trying to think. I don't I, think so. I, I can't imagine that between the five of us, we wouldn't be able to name the film it had been used on if it had. But my word, somebody's not looking hard enough. Yeah, that that would be. That I mean, it, it practically is to me. This is this is what I see when I hear it. Though it practically yeah. is a little horror movie in itself. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, very astute. Definitely, definitely. Um, we're all talking about how beloved Ribbons is and how unique it is. So we're saying that this track is beautiful and yet there's nothing like anything else on the album. <laughs> Ribbons cast such a weird shadow over the album it's on. Mm. And that's not to do down the other tracks on Vision Thing. There are some fantastic tracks on Vision Thing. But Ribbons is, for me, a direct inheritor of The Reptile House. It sounds like The Reptile House a few years on. That's where it comes from. It's Eldritch at his most potentious best. You can imagine him in some underground lair you know, and tolling, yes, to his victim, 
who is about to be shredded to ribbons, um, exactly what's going to happen to them. So it's such a bizarre artifact when it comes to the rest of the album. The Razor smiles. Precisely. Plus, I think sonically, if if you transposed it backwards into the technology used on Floodland and mm. then back to the technology used on First and Last and even back to EP days, mm. it would still work and fit. Yeah. It, 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 is, is it the perfect sister song? No, no, I'm not even going to go there. But, you know, <laughs> anyway. That's gonna that's gonna provoke more arguments than you could possibly solve in a lifetime, my friend. But um, as a, as a standalone sisters song, it's it's a work of art, absolutely, and it is actually. We've all discussed it, um, but I want to just point out that it is Aldrich at probably his lyrical best. Um, you know, we've all read like say 1959 and and all that. You know, some of the lyrical interpretations, and it is it is so deep we will never figure it out. You're right, Aldrich will never come clear about it. He's almost like David Lynch. You will put something out that you half understand or even a quarter understand and never, never explain it. It is up to you to find what you want out of that song. Um, cobalt light. I mean, it, cobalt is a German word that means, you know, a demon or, a, or an evil spirit. It's also cobalt, um, a chemical that was going to be used in atomic weapons to increase their radioactive attack. It could be both of those. So you can take what you want from this song, um, but it will never leave you. It's a goddamn nightmare anthem. <laughs> um, and that's a good thing. <laughs> that's what we should qualify. It's a good thing, but it is terrifying. I do love it, though, and you're absolutely right, and I'm glad that we all kind of have a uniform agreement on that. Yeah, yeah. Just to take you up on that point, actually, yeah, that reminds me of that recent, it's quite a recent interview posted just ahead of the Roundhouse gigs where he sort of pointed out that, you know, everybody wants him to maintain that separation you know, that, that distance from the stage to the audience. And, and, and I think yeah. what Tim's talking about there is exactly that. It, it's, you know, you want the mystique, you want the, you want it to be inscrutable. Yeah. Cool. So, poor old Destination Boulevard then. Um, Martin, do you want to have a crack at this one first? Uh, it's, it's really weird because whenever I hear this song, it always puts me in mind of uh, Phantasmagoria era damned, of that kind of great songs, but that kind of, almost madnessy poppy bounce to it, which is weird because it's not something I would normally associate with the sisters <laughs> at all. And it's, you know, it's one of those things, it's instant single material because it's verse chorus. Would there have been better singles from the album? Uh, artistically? Yes. Commercially? Probably not. You need something that's got verse chorus for the, for the plebs to hear. I know it sounds really <laughs> awful thing to say, but let's be honest. You've got to get people who aren't in the sisters to get into the sisters. And how are you going to do that? By having a song with a verse and chorus they can sing along with. Yeah, can I follow up on that, Martin? That's a really yeah. good point. The singles from Vision Sing are the most rock and roll. I mean, they are... And that's where the contrast hits me so hard. They're nothing like any of the rest of the sisters' material. Yeah. We're releasing the third album from a world-recognised band. Why are we suddenly trying to pitch it to a brand-new audience? There's an established sisters audience out there that one of the greatest bands, not only in our little subculture, but you know, on the broader stage. Well, this is this is the thing. Was he on East West? Uh, well, okay, okay. There we go. You're on a big label. Big label doesn't want you to keep the same fans. They want you to go <laughs> there. That you know, they don't want a hundred thousand. They want a million. Yeah. They're not they're not satisfied with what you've got, and they don't want to maintain if you don't if you don't go to the next X level, you know, good so, for us. So I the bottom line is, was he trying to break America with this album? Because he said he wasn't and he didn't mind and he, he prefers a European sound and they do what they do. And a lot of the things he's done have been intelligently 
counterintuitive to pandering to America. And God knows the politic behind this isn't particularly pro-American. Right? Though, I suppose it's incredibly aggressive against America. Yeah, but but then again, okay, so you're playing straight rock music. <laughs> I, not to, not yeah. to in any way say that that is a bad thing. Again, I love this album. Love a lot of American rock, but. It, we'll never know. We'll never. It goes back to the same thing. We'll never really yeah, well, know, will we? Something Aldrich once said in interviews is the thing about America: you, you have to dumb it down for them. It's 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 dumbing down for the way the American music industry operates. Yeah, I, I, think, just, I think that's probably what he meant when he said. We all know some very yeah. smart Americans. Yeah, absolutely. The thing I love about this particular song, and it goes into the next song as well, and other ones as well. I love mm. the the backing vocals. Because, like I said, it's got pop sensibility to it. Yeah. Yes. Um, and this, and particularly the next song, uh, for, for that particular reason, where the backing vocals really warm up that chorus. Mm. Uh, and it's it's not something that is typical with the sisters. It's normally, like you say, it's that gang thing or that power thing. To have that kind of subtle warmth in it. Yeah. I was surprised. But like I say, it was very much a case of here's a single. When I hear it, I just think there's a single. You can imagine it between a couple of like commercial breaks, can't you? Or some DJ, you know, oh, that's a hot new single from the Sisters of Mercy, straight out of the UK. And you just think, yeah. wow, this is not this is not the sisters I have known. And I dig that, yeah, East West were no doubt promoting them very heavily. But can you imagine Eldridge at his peak, as we're all describing him, you know, this is his this album is the culmination of his vision. And now you're telling me it's suddenly being massively compromised by a record label. There is, you're right, something we don't know going on behind the scenes of this album. And somewhere in that is the compromise between the vision of this that Eldritch has and the vision of Vision Thing that East West have. And I think possibly tracks like this might be some kind of casualty in that war. It's a great song, but it's such a pick-up-and-drop song. I mean, the guys who play it, please, you know, let me know what you think. I don't know, Matt. I don't know if I buy this executive meddling thing or not, to be honest. I mean, mm. while we do all know that he was severely burned by his record company relationship at probably around this kind of time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's got to be something attributable to that. At the same time, I, I feel like he's he's constantly trying to trying to expand his audience. I think he was aligned with them in that respect. Yeah. And in terms of trying to break America, I don't know. I mean, I, it strikes me that what Americans tend to most seem to be interested in is, is Americans. So making it about American subjects, regardless of whether it's critical or not, feels like one way you could help to achieve that. Wow, we're gonna we really we really are going to attenuate with American audiences. Good grief. <laughs> You're gonna love us. <laughs> the funny thing about this song, again, I'm probably gonna be slightly pro-Irish about this. This one feels a bit of a throwaway for me. I I, I like it's okay. I mean, I like it. Uh, yeah. it sits it is there is it is qualitative, but I think in the context of the album for me, it's a bit throwaway. Um, the other thing I've noted with regards to live performance, I think that mm. there's a lot of uh, guitarists and tribute bands who haven't sorted out the slide thing at the beginning, which is a bit... <laughs> a bit <laughs> but anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll leave that well alone. We'll leave that well alone. Um, yeah, just just that little bit throwaway for me. It, mm. it feels like um, Vision Thing with a little bit more movement in the solo, uh, mm. but it's not. I, I don't think it's... It, it doesn't do the same things for me and make me feel the same way that... The vision mm. thing does. Um, 
It's a lot of goddamn fun, though. I will say that. It's yeah, a yeah. lot of yeah. fun to play, to hear. And there's some great lyrical bits in it. Um, I have a brother of sorts in Torquemada. I mean, oh, that's yeah. the most that's open yeah. Eldritch yeah. has yeah. ever been. Me and the most infamous Spanish Inquisition. I mean, <laughs> that's that's shockingly literal from Eldritch. So uh, I love I love little bits like that. It's It's great, and I do feel like he's having a lot of fun singing it. It's, it's almost he's boasting, he's peacocking, you know. You know, I caught something weird in Mexico and I'm driving a hot wire car and the cops can't stop me. I feel like it's Eldritch in his element, but at the same time, he's also put it all into a song that, yeah, you can pick up, play and drop. In a it's sort of his pop culture zeitgeisty tune on this one. I love yeah, it because the, the, with the video of the screens and all that kind of thing, he, which seems a bit light. I, just, I think that's what it is, though. It's light. It's light relief. It's a nice yeah. bit of light relief. Yeah. You know, you've, you've, you know, you've had like the the big driving anthem, and then you've had the sort of dark stickiness of of ribbons, and now you've got a bit of <laughs> light relief before the ballad at the end of the first side, sort of thing. It is worth thinking if the track order of ribbons and detonation boulevard were reversed. Would it sound as throwaway? Because it's a hell of a contrast coming off the back of ribbons, which we've mm-hmm. we've just discussed. You're potentially breaking my world, even making me think that, <laughs> that ribbons wouldn't be the same track. That has album. thrown me for six. I'm I'm boggled. It's parallel universe time. What the hell? What have you done here? Oh, you done? I mean, from my point of view, I I love it as a track. I love playing it because it's got a nice guitar riff for a start. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice. Uh, and the chorus, it, it, it's a very, very short chorus. Oh, yeah. And it's a, it's a classic, you know, here's a verse, here's the riff. We like the riff. Let's do the riff. You need a chorus. All right, here's a chorus. Right, okay, back to the riff. And yeah. I, I kind of I like that. And, and they get a lot out of the chorus because, as Martin mentioned, it's got the backing vocal in there that lifts it and says, this is definitely a chorus, and this is a chorus in the rock and roll tradition, uh, which is like the, the, the lead break in there sounds like Joe Perry <laughs> had a day off from Aerosmith and, and done it. You know, even the guitar tones in, in that are uh, so far away from anything else that appears in any of the sisters' canon. Okay. Um, you know, let's leave aside the slide guitar at, at the beginning. This one's got a proper ending. Uh, this one doesn't fade out. They don't mm-hmm. give up and just turn the knob down. Bang, bang. Um, bad, and uh, bad, uh, bad. it's got it's got bass on it which I don't think to this point in the album we, we've heard. No. And this has, got, this has got a good, I'll say, thunky bass, and that's thunky with a TH, not an F. Uh, there's a bass sound as opposed to a, a, a synth bass sound on yeah. this. Whether it was stitched together from, you know, Tony, play these three notes and I, 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 <laughs> sample them in and we'll play them. You know, it, it could be. There seems to be a little bit of pick noise about that, but, you know, you, you mm. don't know. But it's nice to hear that, that kind of sound in there. I'm not sure it could be Tony James because the only no, I don't think it could be Tony James. I've seen him play bass. <laughs> well, the the only possible well, the only possible sound you could get would be. We all know this. <laughs> having having said that about Tony James, this throws me into another probably unpopular unpopular opinion. My favourite live sisters band uh, is Eldritch, James, Richard, and Broom. Uh, that's that is my favourite live band to listen to um in a obviously i don't i don't think did britchino record anything on the album or was he re, was he recruited to go live so. uh, was, uh, yeah. but um he sorry. was there for the last couple of weeks so yeah 
That's Whether right. anything made it on, who knows? No, we don't know when five tracks became eight tracks. No, that no. could have happened in the last couple yeah. of weeks. Perhaps <laughs> he was the sniff at the beginning. Who knows? <laughs> but, um, but no, no. Uh, yeah, so I'm not I'm not decrying old TJ too much because, again, I, I rather like the live bass, be it more complex or, or simple, as it were. That's um, always going to be a landman with the sisters, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're not even ruffling any feathers. We've all observed that uh, a bass is an integral part of the sisters' sound. Hiving it off to Dr. Avalanche to do, and occasionally somebody picks one up on stage, yeah. isn't delivering the experience we no. would love. But, but, that but, is it's, but it's increasing your cut from the take. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, moving on quickly. Um, <laughs> onto something fast. Now, if this isn't a first on a sister's album, I don't know what it is. Um, um, no, I would say something fast. And 1959, 1959 part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that, yeah. Um, yeah. Go on, then. And going further back, Go on, kind of, <laughs> of the same kind of feel, Blood Money. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see it. It's the same thing. It's, it's Eldritch alone, basically. Deep. As he always has been. Mm. And frequently as he loves it, you know, you know, he whines and he complains, but he, we all know he loves it. But something fast. Um, apart from the fact that it's utterly inscrutable, and I have no idea what he's talking about, even more than in Ribbons. I mean, literally, um, Sid, I don't even know what I'm singing when yeah. I've done it. The words I've, themselves don't make a lot of sense. I was I was thinking quite hard about this for this actually. Hmm. I, I came up with something. I'm trying to remember what it was now. I mean, well, so I mean, there's I mean, there's there's obvious like plays on words like something fast, speed, etc. But I mean, sure. to me, this is. But I mean, I think you build on that. I think to, you know he's sort of talking about red lights again. There's an obvious double entendre there. Hmm. Um, I I think this is to me this is about kind of hedonism and and sort of you know just accepting your own sort of choices and sort of being like yeah you know everybody does it i'm not going to get i'm i'm not going to lose out by not participating essentially mm-hmm. you know um i don't want to be the last essentially you know mm-hmm. um i mean hailing i don't know hailing mary's stretch you know you could talk about prostitutes like gay prostitutes there i don't know i mean i just think i think there's you know there's a lot of hedonism in this song there's a lot of hedonism on this whole album yeah it's true but bear in mind where he was living at the time yeah indeed exactly it's almost it's almost like this is a love song to where he was at the time (laughs) yeah perhaps i'm being a little bit too overt in my own head with thoughts of a of an acoustic guitar and a vocal I don't. I don't know why. I, you're absolutely right about 1959. I suppose it's just a different instrument. He, he another, loves those yeah. types of songs, but they do tend to drop out of our memory. I mean, it's it's rare to see them. Li- well, it's not rare, but it's uncommon to see them live. Um, not a lot of people are going to say it's the favourite. Um, I mean, let me know your reaction. But it never went over well with audiences when we in, did it. People in, didn't really a, get it. In a in a way, I think. It, dare I use the G word? A goth audience. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, well, we've gone this far without mentioning the. Which, of course, you weren't oh, at so a sister's sorry. concert. I've just, I've just let. I know the worst thing is I've let myself down as well, which is terrible. But um, you, but you no. mean a rock and roll audience? <clears throat> of course. Perhaps oh, in, in the, just just using a, a, as a device the goth audience. Then I think, in a sense, there is something about a piano and a solo, a solo piano and a solo vocal that would fit that genre possibly a bit more arguably than the more um, 
standard acoustic guitar and vocal. And this is a classic ballad, right? Allude to, exactly, yeah. allude to a rock ballad. Yeah. Um, so it's possibly, at this point in the album, it's possibly fair to say that he's pushing his envelope absolutely as far as he's pushed it up until now. Because, mm. again, even if you have a rollicking rock song, it's still a sort of rollicking rock song with sequenced drums. Um, but this is really pushing it that extra bit. There, there isn't the... Um, I don't know. I'm saying that. I'm saying. I mean, that. it's still got the sequence drums. It's got the guitar yeah, solo. Just, you know, I just feel it's not as it's not quite as. Perhaps it's a subconscious thing, but it, it it's still the thing that the signature aspect of this for me is mm. him and a guitar and that sort of rockism and how that fits in the. I mean, it really is of how it, he seems to be pushing the album. It's, um, a, it's a straight up yeah. ballad, isn't it? But I mean, a wonderful showcase of Maggie Riley again. I, I assume it's her again. Yeah, I mean, perfect. absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, she's been amazing. I still love um, Moonlight Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. She's been, she's been amazing ever since then. I think the, the thing that this puts me, always makes me realize, though, is also, again, you were talking about the sort of technology angle. It's like, yeah, okay, so this did come out on, on CD kind of natively and stuff, but doesn't it have a very sort of two sided nature to it this is definitely you know the ballad at the end of side a essentially you know there's a yeah, there's a yeah. nice there's a nice rhythm you start off something really really sort of driving and then you sort of go dark and then you go back up a bit into rock and then you just end in this nice sort of ballad you know and then you turn over it just it feels like it gives you closure on side a. it's like the mini mm. end of end of part one sort of thing mm. Mm. definitely from the solo yeah yeah the solo on this has always made me think of gary moore at his uh most creative, should we say, mixed with a bit of classic era Pink Floyd, the actual the, the solo on it. As much I'm not keen on either of those artists to any massive degree, but I think it works and it suits the song, mm. and it, it's not overbearing no. because it is so stripped down as a song. That solo is really quite subtle, which, let's face it, is not something the sisters have been known for the subtlety. Um, but this is this is something that I, again, it's, it's something different. I think the well, I think the Reading version of that solo is really killer though. That whole yeah. that whole gig talking about them being a great live band at that point. The whole Reading ninety one set that is just fantastic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just know you're going to hate this. <laughs> One of my favourite quotes from Eldritch Sheffer. He, he is fantastic. Those, those Eldritch one-liners, you know, deserve to be recorded in a great big black book somewhere and put on the shelf, you know. How to deliver a song. Yeah, I think it's Brixton Academy where the uh, security and there was the, uh, you know, there was the uh, all the togs there. And after three songs, Eldritch went, well, that's cleared the driftwood. <laughs> <laughs> Time for fun. <laughs> oh, he's a venomous bitch, isn't he? I'm just looking at the track listing, actually, and indeed, every single Sisters album has ended on a ballad like this. It was Marianne on First Class Norways, and it was 1959 on Floodland was the last track on side A. So yeah, he's actually running to a pattern there. He ends the first side on a, on a really stripped-back, bare-bones uh, kind of... Vinyl sensibilities. Sound? Yeah, Vinyl sensibilities. which seems really un-Eldritch, insofar as you can at all understand the fella, but that seems really I odd. don't know. He's really into – he's a real muso geek, though, isn't he? He's really into his mm. classic rock. So this Absolutely. sort of pattern, I think, would appeal to him very strongly. Yeah. Cool. As we'll talk more about on a certain song on side two. <laughs> yeah, over to side two. Um, again, a little bit more back in the vein of Pratt's Vision thing and Detonation Boulevard is When You Don't See Me. Martin, what do you go on then? As you've mentioned it, fire away, mate. 
again, we're coming to the point of would this have made a better single than Detonation, uh, Detonation Boulevard? I think so. Because lyrically, so much more intelligent and it's got that kind of lushness to it. The weird thing about this, the guitars seem to be quite muted. You know, they don't, they're not as prevalent as they are on certain tracks on the album. And I think this is one of Elgish's better lyrical performances, both written and delivered on the album for me, even though Vision Thing's my favourite song because it just is an ass kicker. This one, it's a really subtle start to side two, but I think it would have been the better single by a long way. Yeah, I, I, this is this to me is a hidden gem. I don't know why. It's, it always yeah. feels very overlooked, but it, it feels like one of the most finished songs on the albums. It's really, mm. I mean, it, possibly to its detriment. I mean, one of the things I like about Vision Things is a bit, it can be a little bit raw in places and that kind of adds to its mm. ass kickery. But the, this this feels very under control the whole way. But but yeah, I just, the whole production of it is brilliant. I mean, um it's interesting. I've read some people being a bit sort of unsure about what this is about. It seemed, it's always seemed very obvious to me. If you read a lot of interviews from at the time, this is just so much about about some of this stuff we talked about earlier about persona and about just sort of pointing out that, you know, people are just sketching, you know, scrawling their own pattern on him, essentially. It's like they see what you want to see. And he's like, yeah, fine. Okay. You want to project all this stuff onto me? Go ahead. Be my guest. But don't fool yourself. This is your projection. It's nothing to do with me. Um, and that's basically what the what the song's about. It always seemed very, very clear, but I've read some weird interpretations of it. I think people want to um, map onto Eldritch a lot of their own uh, their own feelings, and it's it's a great song about if you want it to be about a breakup, about guilt and loss, uh, recrimination. It is. It can be all of those things to you if you want, uh, because only Eldritch knows what it is to him. But I think yeah, your your description there is definitely cutting the closest. But it is. It's a beautiful song, absolutely beautiful, and really overshadowed, I think, by a lot of other classic sister songs. But in this, I felt like Eldritch was very, again, bearing his soul and being like, you know, this is how I feel about the world. Um, and he really seems to relish singing this song. I don't know if you guys get the same impression, but he seems yeah. to be really confident and in command and in control, singing in his natural register. So I it think comes to me as a really, really just, yeah, you're right, finished sister's track. I mean, I think I think you're right. Of course, you know, there's, there's there's always room for lots of different interpretations. But yeah, I mean, I think that you know, one reason that that particular interpretation stands out to me is very much that it does feel very authentic. It's like he really is actually unusually being quite upfront here. Again, we see him not on the sidelines, not you know, not just sort of being the the right commenter with the right arched eyebrow sort of thing. He's really, you know, just just telling you what what he actually feels on on one level or another. It's quite. Yeah, it works really well. Yeah, I I I love it for its um, for its sort of melancholy. Again, it, if it if that is the intention, but it it's it feels perhaps the closest song, though not very close at all, but the closest sort of to ribbons, really, in the way that it makes me feel mm. from how it's sort of sonically delivered. Um, it's a bit but more yeah, classic sisters. Yeah, it's a bit more gothy, yeah. isn't it? You're right. It's yeah. a bit less of a rocky song. It's definitely a definitely a, a hidden gem. I would agree with that. I, as I said previously, my, I felt that Detonation Boulevard. Whilst I, I like it, I felt it's the it's the closest thing to filler on the album, and so consequently, this would have for me been an absolutely killer single. Uh, shadow of a doubt. Ian? Yeah, I think I think I'd, I'd pick up those the, those same same sentiments. Um, and, and to 
to go back to the production, as as uh, said mentioned, it sounds to me like a, a, a radio song. Um, so you know that the, the discussion about which singles were selected and what have you, I I could quite easily imagine hearing this. On, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the states and I listen to a lot of you know the the, the kind of uh, uh, rock stations in the car on long drives, and this wouldn't be out of place. I mean, you could you could sandwich it between you know. <laughs> well, whatever they like to play, um, you know the 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 Eagles at Kiss one end. And, uh, well, you know it's got it's in there. It's it's nicely nicely put together. Um, I think it's one of those when the, the intro starts. I always forget how good a song it is. It it doesn't grab you from the from the first couple of bars. It kind of settles into into the riff, and then you go, ah, yeah, this has got some stuff to it. It's got to fade out again. Bloody fade <laughs> out. Um, I, my only problem with it is those bloody claps that come in just near about the four minute mark at the beginning of the last set of choruses who who thought that was a good idea <laughs> that, that you know it's it's a um yeah maybe that's when tim came we can do a clap but it does it it sounds like someone clapping with a suit of armor on it doesn't need it it just it just suddenly it just pokes you in the ear for you know for those four bars and then it's off again makes you pay it makes you sit up and take notice again i, I always <laughs> like at first i don't think i even realized what it was i was just like hang on something change it's a very weird effect, isn't it? It's like, why would you do it? It's like in the last sort of 30 seconds or so. It's just bizarre. Well, it has to be deliberate because it, it's, it, you oh, know, yeah, no, it comes no, in. I'm so not saying it's not deliberate. Decision, oh, no, no, I'm not saying it's accidental, but what I mean is there's a decision there. The last 30 like, seconds. This will do something to this song. Yeah, and the I last 30 seconds, what... you're in danger of losing focus, so <laughs> we're going to bring you right back in with some armour clapping. It is oh, the equivalent he's... of a lecturer shouting, oi. <laughs> Throwing <laughs> a piece of chalk at you. A kazoo, a, a kazoo would have had far more impact. <laughs> Can you imagine that turning up in any other sister's song? Anywhere. Anywhere in their collection. They, they would need to snap their fingers in front of your face and bring you back. <laughs> I've got to ask you, in, in light of some of the conversations we've had on previous podcasts, if you had to keep one, would it be the shuffle button or the fade out? Oh, Oh, um, oh me. I think I think I would probably I'd keep the fade out because Hawkwind have managed to use it properly sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and fade back in again. Partisan views there, that's all good stuff. <laughs> all good stuff. Okay then. Um let's move along to um a bit of a bit of a, a riffy a riffy firecracker would so be how I'd, how I'd talk about Dr. Sheep initially. Um Sid, talk to me about Dr. Sheep. I wonder, I thought you'd pick me. Well, what? okay, I'm gonna because, <laughs> really? because I'm gonna go out on a go out well, I haven't been for a while and it I haven't been first yet. And also I'm gonna go out on a limb with this one and actually say possibly my least favourite sister's song. Wow. Close, certainly my least favorite. Oh, yeah, pretty much my least favorite on the album. Uh, second least, second least favorite for me. Yeah, it just, oh, I, I mean, the thing is, I kind of don't mind listening to it. It was, to be fair, it's my least, it's my absolute one of my least favorite to play. It just goes, mm. goes, and goes, and goes, and goes. It's just, there's no variation to it. It's like that same building and similarity stuff that we had in ribbons. It's the same sort of device, but here for me, it just doesn't work. And the lyrics that just, just sort of a kind of unsubtle evocation of a bunch of Americana, basically. It's just, don't know, doesn't doesn't really do it for me. I mean, I, I still, you know, I still love it. It's still a sister's song. 
I can't bring myself to hate any sister song, but there aren't enough. Yeah. No, exactly. When you're, you know, when you're well, in a sure. desert, how it, one tiny drop of water, <laughs> you know, is still a lot to you. Um, so yeah, I, I can't, I can't bring myself to dislike it, but it, you know, yeah, it, it's definitely, this is a, this is part of a trough in the album for me. And it, it's definitely I, its lowest point. I, I think, uh, I, I'd agree wholeheartedly on, on that. Um, what this puts me in mind of is Anaconda, um, not necessarily in the way the sisters do it, but certainly in the way the Smurfs do it, because um, it is a riff that just goes, you yeah, know, oh, yeah. I found a riff, I'll play it for a week, you know, and it's that it's that kind that kind of thing, and and that can be fun, but sometimes it can outstay its welcome. Absolutely, it's just a one trick pony. It's not a sister's mechanic by any stretch, is it? The sisters aren't known for that kind of shameless looping of a riff. It's unusual. It stands out from the rest of their arsenal because of it. Maybe this is a Tony James thing. <laughs> well, again, Gonzo's Sputnik could... Exactly, we get shades of Sputnik in here. It's like, you're going to hear diddling. Obviously, everyone knows the story about the fact that Tony James wanted Eldritch to be he did. the lead singer Zig Zig Sputnik yep. and that's how they became friends oh my goodness that's that was never, parallel universe that was never gonna happen <laughs> was it and what what Patricia Morrison said about it is like when they get together it's scam time <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> for legal reasons we can't discuss Patricia Morrison's departure from the band we cannot yes sorry Anne Renan <laughs> okay um, a lot of allegedly is going on here well, no <laughs> the, the thing about the mechanic of the song I think a repetitive mechanic works better if it's slower. If you have a fat, I think there are exceptions. I'm thinking bands like Ministry do it a certain way. But I think because they're already more stripped down exactly. and the music is approached differently, it sort of works. I think, again, in the context of the sisters, the mechanics of this song, as you say, that fast, repetitive, nothing really changes. The um, sort of little synthy melody line is almost barely a refrain. I'm not massively keen on it, but I. I not saying I dislike it again. This is in the context of a a bunch of uh, a bunch of sisters songs. I'm going to throw a real curveball on this. This wouldn't sound out of place for me on the the album Sonic Temple by the Cult. With I'd go with that. Yeah, absolutely. It. And Sonic Temple is my least favourite Cult no. album because it's when they tried to become Bon Jovi. <laughs> You're, you're so right. <laughs> Just for the record, that's the best one. <laughs> Sweet soul sister, I'm sorry, but if ever you're going to sound no. like Bon Jovi There's with a the keyboards... Forever dancing, on and on. A podcast A podcast has just come to life there. I, I love it. I'm sorry, but I have to I have to be honest and say, I, I like the song, you know, it's easy, but... It wouldn't sound out of place on something. I, I love that suggestion. I've now I can hear Ian Asprey singing this now, yeah. and it's like yeah. it fits. You're so right. That, you know, I said the Americanness of it. It's like it's just ticking all the boxes. Exactly. Asprey's mm. lyrical words. You know, it's like mumbo. It's like way with mumbo jumbo combo mumbo. Right? Does it tick all the boxes? <laughs> it's got all those cliched reference. So <laughs> this one plays into the Ian Asprey kind of. You know, yeah. uh, because this riff just sounds like Billy Duffy to me. Can I just you know, point got, out? You can just imagine legs play, and I love Billy Duffy's playing, 
you know. Um, but Martin, it's on the floor. No need to stamp on his head. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Go for the kill. Over an hour on this on this podcast, and we haven't yet kicked Wayne Hussey in his backside. <laughs> and finally, it's happened. Not only is 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 Martin, you know, dragging it to the floor and savaging this song, and he's also and that Wayne Hussey as well. He can take a hike. Okay, Martin. You know, no, we get you. No, no. no. <laughs> Fan of all three bands that I've mentioned, a massive fan. I've got yeah. everything they've ever done. I love them. They're, they're part of my life makeup, but there's no point talking about a song and not being honest about it. And that's my view on this particular song. The cer- certain people have like their, their traits, and mm. this one, like I say, where it belongs to me is there. I think you probably have just earned Eldritch's Undying Hatred. Does he? he I, I seem to recall reading he, he was very snitty about the cult. Mm hmm. Well, everyone's like, opinions are like arseholes. We've all, yeah, right. And that's my opinion on this song. Uh, I like it. It's not my favourite, mm. but I, when I hear it, it, it's a bit like, you know, going back to the, the, the songs we were talking about earlier on, when I was hearing The Dam's Grimly Fiendish, it's a case of, I love that song as well. This fits in with that era of the cult for me. So there we go. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I, I feel like, it, yeah, it feels like we're sort of walking in minefield a little bit there. That doesn't happen very often so far. Um, yes, uh, a good place to move on to. Well, uh, one of the words that, that that caught my ear that Martin said at the beginning was pomposity. And if we want to talk pomposity, and if we want to possibly, possibly talk to a generic macrocosm of this album, then mm. I, I think more would be more would be that the hand of steinman the american single mm-hmm. this one benefits from being a, actually an absolute kick-ass song as well um for me in my opinion was this the first single i can't remember it was, it was yeah. the first single right? it was okay. it was before the album grand grand yes but yes uh I, I, more is more is a fantastic song in, in a way i sort of feel like i should be pushing this down the ranks for some kind of strange mm. sort of following a hardline, sister's hardline or, or, or something like that. But I love this. I think <laughs> it's a fantastic single. And I, I've never minded good sort of pop rock writers like Steinman having their touch on on things. Mm. Um, Just don't let him sing it. Well, yeah. well I was going to say, Steinman, Steinman's like contribution it. confuses me because he's nicked part of it and stuck it in a musical. It's like, what, what did... Did he actually write the song or not? I don't know. But how did he get to do that? He has, um, let's look, he has credits for for lyrics and music on this. Yeah. Yeah. You see, I'd I'd call me a hardliner, but this is the second worst album on the song, uh, song on the album for me. By, by a country mile. Um, I mean, the thing is, con- contrastingly, it is a killer life. I love to sing this life. It's fantastic. How could you not? It's wonderful, especially it's like a duet with 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 Maya and stuff. That's like, ah, it's one of the highlights of a gig, but to listen to, nah. <laughs> I love it. I do. Ian, bail me out. Mm, I'm, I'm between the two stools here. Um, I love it as a song, but... I'm not sure whether I love it because I love playing it because I, I'm more familiar with our version. <laughs> um, uh, because one thing I noted, cause I, cause I listened to everything back over the last few days just to, to re-familiarize myself. And like I say, I, I, 
I listened through everything on the highest quality audio equipment I could possibly muster to try and hear everything about it. And one thing I noticed was the the bass synth. So the main riff as it comes in, in my head, that's a nice string synth with a kind of bass uh, synth underneath it. If you actually listen to it, it's a bit dated. Hmm in a way that the other synths don't seem to... The system sound tends to be classic as opposed to dated, if I can yeah. draw that distinction. Yeah. But that this, the term. bass on this, it sounds like a cross between the honking of a robot goose and someone <laughs> twanging a ruler on the edge of a desk. <laughs> and somehow they've mixed those together. <laughs> and you've got this honking thing going on yeah. under the main main yeah. riff. You know, so it's great when the guitars come in and, and kind of... Uh, so I love it as a song. I love Steinman. Uh, I should put that there. I, I'd still say that um, Bat Out of Hell is one of the greatest albums ever written, and I'll, I'll not have a word said against it. Um, and I, you know, I, and I love the excess of Steinman. I, uh, of Steinman. I love... I love the Bat Out of Hell musical for just how stupid it is. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, the, the stuff that it was based on, this ongoing uh, Never Neverland thing he's been, until his, uh, his death, been working on for about 40 years. Uh, and that comp- pomposity. So so I do love the song, but I do think we're talking about the album and the album renderings and the production here. And I think, mm. it, I think it has some issues. Mm. Um, uh, Don't the, you think the string sounds really quite. dated as well, though? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe um, it does actually. Maybe it does, and maybe it's mm. the it's the robot goose that's kind of <laughs> distracting me, and I'm not hearing that quite so much. But it's uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't it, it does feel it feels more eighties than nineties to me. Mm. That that kind of thing. Can I lay into this song completely now that you've all, you know, tried to polish its pearls? Can I tell you that this track is the worst on the album? Probably one of the worst the sisters have ever done. Uh, building on Ian's <laughs> production qualities, can I say the whole thing sounds like it was recorded inside a shipping container? Everything is either too <laughs> echoey or too constrained. Eldritch is, is mumbling worst, and we all know he can mumble with the best of them. I can't make out what he's saying half the time. The other half, I don't want to because his lyrics are bilge. Halfway through, it loses its place. It's just, it's just, he's just throwing lines at us, and the the backing vocals too much. Far too overblown. They echo. They resonate. They're they're far too loud. And then it just kind of wobbles to an end. Thus you can get. And you know what? People love it. I cannot get it. It's like a greasy kebab at the end of a drunken night out. You know you shouldn't. You know it's bad for you. Then you just stick your face in it and just shovel it in there. And it's good test. It's awful. I'm sorry, but this represents the sisters at the Nadir. Oh, come on. Thank you. And good night. Wait, we haven't got... We haven't got to the B side yet, Tim. What about the B yeah. side? No, 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 no. We talk about that. Yeah. No, Tim. Come on, a, vi- a video with with smoke, searchlights, moving cameras, and Tim Britch, you know, in a big in a big voluminous shirt, going like that with his guitar. Come on. Again, it's a beautiful video because it looks like it was made in five minutes on a student TV movie budget. It's them in the shipping container. They're standing in the shipping container. Somebody's waving a flashlight at them, and there's two smoke machines going. Give me a break. I could do a video like that on one wet Sunday afternoon. Doesn't it also feature Andreas Brun in a dress? It does indeed. So it's got that going on. <laughs> I, I feel after that severe Molly. battering that, that it, it almost seems pointless of me to point out the fact that 
we've got two bars of the worst sounding fake cello in the end, which would sound lovely if they'd actually <laughs> pulled a chamber orchestra in to do that. Because the counter melody and whatever is great. Yeah, but it, it is. <laughs> but it's another synth. So, um, so having said all that, um, p- please come along and see us play it on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> You can only make it better, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, dear But mate. I will not hesitate oh, to heckle. Oh, God help me, I'll heckle. I'd be disappointed if you don't after that. This is going to be a whole new experience for me now, Tim. Looking, looking, <laughs> Watching you dancing around to this, I'm going to know there's a lot more irony Excuse than I've ever me. previously detected. <laughs> I think I think what we should do is should get a Tim a T-shirt with a sister's writing saying, Less. Or <laughs> <laughs> wear it with pride. But for your information, I stay at the bar during, um, during some of performances. I like to stay at the bar quite far back i like to see it all go on and i get the best sound at the bar and then when i heckle nobody's entirely sure who it is as well we know who it is <laughs> dear me okay let's let's move on quickly shall we <laughs> okay so we reach uh reach the end of the album eight tracks in all obviously uh, and we move on to i was wrong martin go on go on go on odd to me i've always found this a really odd song to end the album on it's just an odd song full stop right what's it yeah what does it sound like it's if you listen oh i've been desperately trying to find this there's like a song by someone like deep purple that <laughs> this is like a really the riff is almost exactly the same oh, i can't remember who it is now i've been desperately trying to find it i'll find it it's it's when you don't see me part two it's weird in in the same way that um, dr jeep is just really restructured detonation boulevard I was wrong. It's just more, you know, Eldritch crying into his last red wine of the night. You know, oh, she done me wrong, possibly, depending on your interpretation. It feels a bit unnecessary. Um, And yet, uh, it's got some fantastic lyrics. Pain looks great on other men. That's what they're for. I mean, this, I've got to admit, for all it's a strange song eldritch in it is on just the pinnacle of songwriting and lyric writing i love it i think it's a fantastic song i love it it's weird it's close to my favorite on the album i didn't mention because i I didn't really speak much about the previous track there's there's thing that's forgotten about a lot with sisters is is Eldritch's lyrics and the intelligence that on on more learning to cry for fun and profit i just i just (laughs) What a fantastic line! And on you know on this, I could love my fellow man, but I'm damned if I love yours. Perfection. I do, I love that bar because the the way it's delivered, particularly, but it's almost like thrown away. Oh, yeah. But I'm damned if I love yours. It's it's really understated the way he says it, but it's so vicious. Yeah. And I love the fact that he didn't scream that because to me it adds to its malevolence. Hmm. Mm. You know what I always... The way it's almost thrown away. I always came away from this thinking that this is, again, turning to the Sisters Mythos, this is Flood Part 3, okay, mm. in a bar that's always closing, you know. We all thought he was going to go home with um, the, the girl whose petals they'd be picking up, mm. but he's not. He's now in a bar that's always closing, and he's alone, and he's been left alone. And that, for me, is a beautiful continuation of a Sisters theme, not just an album theme, not even just, like, you know, over a couple of them. That is a Sisters theme and then he's played it brilliantly but why put it on an album where you've 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 got already um when you don't see me 
but this is too similar. I don't get it. This feels this feels to me like in every respect, it just feels like the Swan Song is weird. Like I know obviously yeah. they've continued in 100%. in certain ways, but it, to me, it doesn't feel like a coincidence. Almost, this is the last. Mm track on the last album it's like you know it's yeah. like it's a come down. i can get i can get along without you know i mean uh, all this kind of this there's, there's just lots of stuff it's all about kind of ending and and you know it's like it, you know i i sort of interpret it as him sort of reflecting on on his kind of like you know i thought i needed this i thought i need to be a big star and all this kind of stuff you know what i can get along without i like that you know? yeah i was i was wrong to ever doubt i i'm fine you know and it, it yeah it, and the way it just sort of fades out it's a very long fade and this actually, to me, is quite an effective fate because the very, the very yeah. fact is that, you know, it's like drifting away. It's not, it's fading away. It's not burning out. It, it, it's more like <laughs> it's walking away. Yeah, very good. Into the distance rather than, you know, fading yeah, exactly. out. To, to that, it kind, it, kind, it kind of works. This has always put me in mind of a song. It doesn't sound, melody-wise, it doesn't, it's just the feel, which is uh, the Debbie Bowie song, Rock and Roll, Suicide. You know that kind of despondency, very much a, a full stop on the album, very much a come down thing, and I, I love it for that. Mm. But it is—it's a really—I've always found it to be an odd song. It is. Oh, so, I think, from a production point of view, I, I very much like it. Um, it's very crisp. There's something about a banging tune, twelve-string guitar played gently with a light pick mm-hmm. that is just. It's just a, a fantastic sound, and and then you've got the kind of electric guitar playing clean but wet effects arpeggio on the top of that, and the stereo mix that they've got there, it's it's banging. I don't know whether that again is is someone in post production spending ages moving <laughs> notes into alignment, but it's absolutely bang on, and it's it's wonderful. And that I, I think that's probably why um, I can forgive that that long fade out because you're just kind of wallowing in that that sound and it's just absolutely where it should be it's got that yeah. scrubbiness that you mentioned the thin pit i love that scrubby sound he gets yeah it's just brilliant no it is crisp when you hear it just like that that strum you can actually almost you can picture it just being really strummed mm. like a lot of the times where it's that kind of guitar it can get lost in a mix mm. but that's very 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 openly left as it is and i like it for that that's why one of the things i really like about this yeah song. it's mixed incredibly well i think agreed Agreed. So that's, are we saying that that's part of this whole kind of mystery about what mixes made it to the final edit, that, that perhaps this was a, received more attention than some of the other songs? It, it could be, or it could just be um, serendipity. The, the, mm. the orchestration lent itself, Yeah, y- you know. And and again, I mean, uh, uh, we were very harsh on, on the uh, uh, on the sounds and what have you in in, in more. Um, no, we, we have won't. to think, <laughs> you know, we, we, we're looking at this with. Um, I mean, I've got equipment in this room that can do more than they could do in a professional studio thirty odd years ago. I mean, so you know, we know the passage of time. Sometimes <laughs> talking about the, the honky, um, uh, 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 um, the goose of the ruler. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Those kind of simple signs. But this is this is production one hundred and one from from my point of view. These are your classic rock band uh, yeah. instruments, ballad instruments, just mixed perfectly. And once again, it's the progression through the album. You know, we've gone all the way through another little journey to another ballad at the end. Yeah, mm. to- tonally, it is an it is the end of the album. Oh yeah. So it's it's basically gone full ballad 
on both sides. So perhaps perhaps it was a sell it across the Pacific and do mm. something which he thinks makes sense. I don't know. Um, I think it he succeeded with both songs. They were both it, very good tunes, yeah, it, so it, who cares? On each side, it seems to be bombast, mm. kind of heart back, bombast ballad. On Floodland, it's... Um... I'm just checking. It's, it follows the same uh, structure. It's Neverland on Floodland and on First and Last of Norways. It is some kind of stranger. So he's following that mm. grand sister's design of ending on that just achingly sad note to just say goodbye. That's it. The album, the story of the album is over and I will see you maybe never. Mm. Classic Eldritch sign-off. Okay. So all the way through the album... Um, <laughs> we've got to go there. Do we've we? got to go there. Do we? This is for this is for weebs. You we've got to go there. Yeah. Um, Hello. Oh. hate us. Still hate us if we so, don't do this. Yeah, absolutely. So there is a particular a particular B side called "You Could Be the One" on uh, on on the B side of Mall. Only, now this only original song from the singles. Yeah. This. Yeah. This is. This is such a strange one because it's kind mm. of like I, I, I love it mm. but I, I I really know that it's just not there it, it, it's it's so you, tough you, stuff, you know it's it? you, you know it's <laughs> you, that's, that's kind of it you know that it's <laughs> you know that it's injured before you start listening to it that it's suboptimal <laughs> that it's not entirely performant but it, it does sort of fit the album uh, and it yeah. has the um Oh, I can't remember the lyric. There's a particular line in it that I absolutely love. Uh, something blah, blah, armor plate. Help, help. There's pretty little thing, thing on an armor plate. plate. <laughs> I, I do like that as a line, I have to say. But yes. I think uh, because I, I think kind of in the direction he's going to go with it, with nothing but uh, love and affection. Tim, <laughs> how, how are you feeling about You Could Be The One, Tim? I am a staunch supporter of You Could Be The One. <laughs> I think it is a work of art. Okay, it is, it is, it is Eldritch, it is Banksy best, you know, fuck everything, fuck everything that's come before and even fuck this album. Here's what I really think. I'm in it for the roadies, uh, sorry, for the groupies even. I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the excess and I'm in it to take the piss. I think it's a work of art. I think it's criminally overlooked. I don't understand the hate it deserves. Why can't you just take it as what it is? A lot of fun. I mean, that tambourine hit at the end. I mean, it's just the it's the drum roll of the sisters. Remember, remember when we started in 1980? It was a joke. Guess what? You've got to the end of a very long, very complicated, sometimes very unfunny <laughs> joke, and you could be the one is the ultimate punchline. Brilliant, brilliant. Said what you're thinking. Um. Yeah, I have such mixed feelings about this. I think this is the thing. Like, I, 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 I I'm, I'm just totally subscribing to Tim's opinion here. I, I, I don't think I could say anything, anything much better. I, I'm not as avid a fan, I must say. Especially after we started doing it, I was a bit like, yeah, okay, it just kind of plods along. It, it feels very, does feel very cursory to me. Like there was a, uh, I don't know if you remember. I think one of Tony Hawk's ventures, like the stutter rap song. There was a. A B-side to that called Another Boring B-side, which they, they sang about exactly this kind of thing. And it, it, it obliquely puts me in mind of that, quite honestly. Mm. Um, but it's got some brilliant lyrical lyrical bits in it. Uh, you know, like, was it... Um, 
flower children never bore me threatened species they adore me or it's the other way around probably um like threatened species they adore me i mean how can you not love yeah. that as a lie it's just like yeah You've come on love that, haven't you? i love yeah, i love you hippie yeah. chicks come on yeah mystic Pick people they're so dear i don't like the rest your sign's the best whatever it is i'm most impressed yeah whatever it is i'm most impressed i mean <laughs> <laughs> it is actually him taking the blinkers off and being like you know what i'm a cynical bastard and if you haven't got that by now you haven't been paying enough attention there was a, an expression around at the time that oh, when I ever heard this song, it makes me think, young, dumb, and full of crap. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's the sisters that they're, they're rockies. <clears throat> We're having some fun, kind of, you know. And that's the thing that people forget about Eldritch. He's got a wicked sense of humour. I mean, you only have to look at his, some of the cover versions he's done. Oh. Uh, and you know, and when he stopped doing Emma, and like you've got to play Emma, you've got to play Emma, and he did Uptown Top Ranking <laughs> to the tune of Emma, you know, and doing you know, Confide in Me, and doing Sugar Baby Love, and all these covers that he's done, and Ready ninety one, he's got the whole world in his hand before nineteen sixty nine. And, you know, he's got the Tomahawk missiles in his mm-hmm. hand and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. People forget how he's intelligent, but he's, he's really a funny guy. Yeah, I mean, I've sat in a conversation about football and on the buses with a guy. You know, he's, he's really intelligent, but he's, he's got a sense of humour that people forget because yeah. people think that he's this goth overlord who sits, you know, stroking bats and, <laughs> like, drinking virgin's blood. He's so far <laughs> removed from that, you know, that, that people have just got this impression of an era of him, you know, yeah. what he might be like and, oh, that's what he's like. Well, you don't know what he's like. Yeah. You know? um, but this this is a song that, whenever I hear it, it just makes me smile. Because it is, it's 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 like, okay, it's, it's a bit of a silly song. People don't expect that from the sisters. Yes. Fair, pl- fair play to Eldridge <laughs> for doing it, you know. And I've always loved it and I get why people, and also because there are only eight tracks on this album. Yeah. Another song by the sisters at that time was such a rarity that people want to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, let, 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 let's be frank about it. So any song, regardless of how good or bad it was, if it was by the sisters at that time, people were hankering to hear it. You know, and there was nothing else until, you know, the, uh, shall we say, the cover version that they released <laughs> after that. I, I, this is actually sorry, one thing that this put me in mind of as well is just like, I know... You know, during the the first and last sessions, they, he was really, really struggling, and then Marianne somehow came together all yeah. at once. Right? It feels to me like you could be the one was probably the same. It just something about it makes me feel like it was just one take, start to end. It's like someone Agreed. someone fiddled with a little riff, and he was like, "Yeah, hey, I know what to do with this." Off they went. Lyrics, you know, I mean, it just It does feel it for some reason. It's just got a cohesion. And a kind of a, a you know the kind of a rawness that you don't get in a lot of the other songs. I actually get the feeling of Eldritch actually writing the lyrics and pissing himself laughing yeah. whilst he's writing them, going, "God, people are going to hate this. I've got to do it. I've got to do it because that's the kind of guy." Yeah, he's, I would agree I'll, with I'll that. Well, I, yeah. I mean, it's another version of some kind of stranger, right? Isn't it? Essentially, I mean, the message mm. underlying yes. is exactly the same, but this Absolutely. is the rock version. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the best comparison I've heard. If you took if you took um, took Gary Marks out of some kind of stranger, this is Eldritch rewriting it basically. Well, unsurprisingly, Eldritch has got the um, the lyrics credit, and Andreas Bruun's got the music credit solely for this, which is disappointing me a bit because I kind of feel that um, a flowery shirt and Tim Bridgeno came in in the last two weeks in in a sort of a ratio sense should have had this as his sort of 
six minutes of fame, but seemingly that isn't to be. So, um, uh, <laughs> I, 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 again, I, I kind of love it. I, I don't care. It, it no. bags along, but it does. It's, it's, it's yeah, not well, surprising to me that it didn't get on the album put that way. <laughs> yeah. so, so you don't hanker after an alternate universe where this swap places with, with Dr. Jeep <laughs> or ribbons <laughs> no <laughs> very much no okay uh, so we've got to the end of the tracks so okay there was like one original ish song after this Basically, this is the last sort of true sisters output that's uh, been produced and released by a record company, certainly. Um, uh, I wish the heck he'd get some of his other stuff that's been doing live for years recorded, but that's, a, that's another another thing altogether. Mm. So I, I suppose closing thoughts then. In terms of the Sisters of Mercy, the band, their story, their mythos, how, I don't know, what... As, as a sort of last will and testament type thing, what what do you think this album does, means, you know, look, looking back to 1990, I guess, as Sisters fans, how does it sort of make us feel that this is this is the last thing? Um, and, and is it worthy? Is it not worthy? Does it make sense? Doesn't it make sense? Are you asking, would know. we like another album? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that stupid. I, I, I know it's an impossibility. Um, Trump or no Trump, I know it's an impossibility. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so this, this is it. This, was, this is the, um, the end of the bookshelf sort of thing. So I don't know. What do we think? Well, I'll, I'll paraphrase from, from the album itself. I want more. I don't think this is a fitting epitaph for a band that have been such an important part of my life. As good as an album it is, it could be better. And the, mm. the songs that he's written since then that deserve to be released. Um, and it saddens me to think this will be the last thing. And if you said, right, okay, the last album a band ever did, it's a bit like The Clash with Cut the Crap. You know, that is not a legacy of the clash at all. And so for me to think that's the last that's what people might remember him for, apart from, you know, um a cover version of one of their own songs and a bastardized cover version of somebody else's song disappoints me mm. and it saddens me to know there's so many great songs he's written since then mm. that you'll only get to hear if you go see them live. But what would be the fitting epitaph? Is there ever such a thing? Um, apart from, I can only think of one person who's done it in a way that is fitting, and that was Blackstar by Bowie. Because exactly was, what so, I was thinking. You know, it was the case that I've left you a present. I'm not going to be here when you hear it. And every time I hear that album, it has an emotional effect on me. Yeah. Uh, I think more than the music itself, because of what it what it meant to him to make sure you know to 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 give this thing mm. and the artwork and the thought and the process behind mm. it. I don't think any act can provide us with their fitting epitaph and a fitting swan song. It's always going to be unfinished business. They're better than this album. <laughs> as much as I love the album, they're better than this album. Yeah. And to think this is the last thing they did, I think is selling themselves short. That's strong stuff, Martin, strong stuff. And um, yeah, I, I agree to a large, a large degree. 
Sid, how does it make you feel? That was the last thing that was that was out, and we haven't yeah. had anything since, and so on and so forth. I mean, the, you know, there's a lot of obvious truth in what Martin's kind of saying. I mean, it's hard not to share those sentiments. Um, I, I, for me, it's it, it's maybe very slightly different, just in that um, I I do have the same feeling of sort of it. It does feel like a tiny bit of a letdown, and it's most there's two parts to it, like. One is, yeah, they haven't released other other records. I'll come to that in a sec, but just taking it on its own terms. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've sort of talked about the ups and downs and the songs and all this kind of thing, but it's it's mostly just that it feels a bit rushed and unfinished. And mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't feel like it itself is the best expression of what it is that it could be. And that, mm-hmm. to me, is the reason that it's not a fitting epitaph. It's just like, it's just like you know, they, they reach the end of the exam. And they're like, right, pencil's down. It's like, oh, well, okay, we better just put this out then. And it, it's... Yeah. That to me is a huge shame. That that's the the thing I do regret about it. Um, I mean, you know, we've all had to come to terms with the lack of general sisters output in one way or another, and I've made peace with that in certain ways. But you know, the the lack of new records, it's like I don't know. I, I just I do find it very weird that he doesn't fundamentally get the fact that I don't know. Like for me, growing up and and getting into the sisters at the time, they weren't playing live, mm. and then hearing them live it's they're very different bands i mean even even within an era they sound like quite different bands the records are a thing in themselves yes they're very different to the live sound and you know i was quite disappointed the first time i heard live live sisters kind of stuff because i was expecting the kind of thing i was hearing on the record but you can't reproduce that kind of stuff live typically um it's it's a very different thing and i think actually they they mastered both things they they managed to be great live and great at doing records and sound really quite different with the same songs, which which to me is fantastic. You can you can get so many different angles on on what's essentially the same underlying thing that you really love. Brilliant, fantastic. But it feels weird to me that somebody who claims and and obviously does understand music and, and rock and roll and, and so forth as well as Eldritch does can fundamentally not get the fact that you need both. You don't you can't subsist just on the live stuff. Not it's just not enough. It's not. It's not what you're here for. It's like, you know, the, the gigs are all very well. It's great. And, and you know, I still love them, unlike many I know. <laughs> many I've gone to sisters' gigs with recently have told me. <laughs> you know, a lot of people do do just go along and, and it seems just to, to be disappointed, which strikes me as odd. I, I go along and I have a great time. But it's never going to fill the void, that, that the lack of a new album has left in me but you know it is what it is right yeah mm. tim i think sid raised some great points there um my own tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theory is there is another album <laughs> it has been recorded and it's in a magnetic shielded vault for the day when even eldritch knows he can no longer perform um at which point that will be his retirement plan it will come out will be blown away and there it is the quality of it, I don't predict. I don't know. Mm. I go to Sisters Gig, same as Sid, and I come away having had a good time, but not blind to, yeah. The difference between the Sisters Live and the Sisters Albums and the Sisters Live Now and the Sisters Live 20 years ago, um, it's not the same. Uh, and that, to me, kind of is actually following a kind of predictable pattern. The sisters took off with first and last and always. For me, Floodland was the apex, and then they started to curve down. Vision thing is the sisters' aircraft starting to fall out the sky, bits falling off. The live performances are them approaching the ground. 
it all feels like it's following a very familiar trajectory. There are bits of vision things that are polished gold. But um, if we were to look at the other albums, we would say they're part of a beautiful tapestry. With the vision thing, it's weird bits that have been stapled onto an otherwise unremarkable canvas. I do think there's possibly something in the future. What that's going to look like, I cannot imagine. I fear. Actually, I really do fear. There are some fantastic new songs that you can hear at Sisters Gigs. I can't gauge the quality of them because I get them through YouTube. And, you know, I don't know what they're going to sound like if they've actually been professionally produced, which I suspect they have. I would love that to be the case as well. I wonder if I'm putting a lot of my own hope and heart into this theory that this, that yes, the vision thing is not the bottom line of the sister story. Sorry, just, you just, you just made me think maybe there's a, you know, this is like, um, Zeno's paradox. Maybe it's like, you know, <laughs> he's still recording vocal takes. That's what's happening. There is an album in the works. That's right. It's just going to take an infinitely long time. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. Come, come. The, the the ultimate final apocalypse. Eldritch will still be underground in Hamburg somewhere, <laughs> tinkering EQs with with one you know ear can over as the nuclear firestorm washes over us all. And that to me is perfect. That's how the sisters started. That's absolutely how they're going to end. And you know, God help us, we deserve it. You know, cool. has, there, has there ever been a band with such an audience, such a fan base as us? I mean, that itself deserves a whole separate podcast. But uh, we've listened to Vision Thing. We've come away underwhelmed. I, I, I respect whatever decision the guys make. You know, he has God. his own reality and his own truth, his own set oh, yeah. of circumstances and his own set of inputs into his career and and um, whatever he wants to do. But the, other, the way I can sort of give it some way and equate it is, on my right arm, I have a Prince symbol tattoo. Mm. First tattoo I got, and I'm my the core of my being is Prince. Prince released nearly forty albums, and <laughs> since then, posthumously, if you include tracks, there's probably been another seven or eight come out, and there will be more for years and years to come. He's my hero. He's one of the best live performers of all time. Multi right? Oh, yeah. the, the amount I love that guy's output and him as an artist is is almost immeasurable, and it's shaped my entire life in terms of what I do for leisure and what I do as a job, which obviously I'm not going to get to, so on and so on and so forth. <laughs> yeah. On my other arm, I've got a merciful release tattoo. So that's that's how much I think of the sisters sort of thing. Um, it, yeah, need want more, but it, it is what it is, um, et cetera, et cetera. To, to put a slightly less pessimistic spin on it all. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> We've got three albums, and they're all radically different. Yeah, and depending true. on what mood you're on, you've got a different perfect album for that mood. And, you know, people will debate what their favourite is. You know, there's plenty of bands out there put one album out. There's also plenty of bands out that put ten albums out, and they all sound like the first one. <laughs> you know, th- yes, there, are, there isn't more material, and we'd all love it if there were, but we have got some good stuff to be to be getting on with. It's true. And, and, and I... I do worry. I, I know uh, we're we're not supposed to uh, equate uh, the sisters with with goth, um, but I do worry. There's a certain sense with especially elder goths that can't be asked to come out and go to live gigs anymore. <laughs> that the fact that uh, the sisters stopped putting albums out something something entered stasis at that at that point. Um, we've been battling that ever since in in the scene, and I kind of think maybe that, you know. If they did put something out and they could unplug that blockage, it might just <laughs> revitalize things a little bit more. Goth Renaissance. 
<laughs> yeah, and also people people will incorrectly think that sisters are a heritage act mm. insofar yeah. as all they're doing is trotting out the same old, same old, the way a lot of bands do. Mm. But they're not. Mm. They're still writing new material. That's, really and that's, yeah. that's, that's the thing that really infuriates me. They're doing all this new material, but you can only see it if you go see them live or see a crappy version on mm-hmm. YouTube. I was just going to say there's another version of my theory that is a bit more cynical, which is like we know how much he struggles getting a good vocal take and his voice is not at its best anymore. And that's I think if, that, the if anything else is, is, you know, if nothing else, that's what blocks a new release, I think. Yeah. As we're approaching the two-hour mark, um, <laughs> I think it's probably time to, to roll this oh, one yeah. up. Um, thinking about for old Ian, going to be uh, doing his... Um, He's editing magic. It's going to take a little bit longer and Paul had to sleep already. <laughs> okay. Oh, the only thing I was going to say, uh, Tim, if you want to um, give your identifiers or handle or whatever it is for your for your blog, as it's certainly relevant to most of what we've we've talked about tonight, then you can fire away. Sure. Thanks so much, uh, Paddy, obviously, and the guys for inviting me on and having me on the podcast. Um, in my spare time, I write for The Blogging Goth, uh, which is a leading kind of goth commentary website. And uh, in the recording of this podcast, I've looked at my review of Vision Thing, and I, I may have to revisit it now. I've come to some very different conclusions. Cool. Thank you very much, um, Sid and Tim, for joining us. It's been an absolute treat. Um, I think we could comfortably, in the not in the, in the middle distance, perhaps have a go at one of the other albums. And I'd love I that. Think I think there's a bottomless pit of stuff to talk about, to be honest, which would be brilliant. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was intending to go in reverse order if we were going to do it, so that's okay. Perfect. But other than that, good night to everybody. Thank you for listening wherever you are. Oh, that was Vision Thing. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.